Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by who else? BetOnline.ag. And look, our partners at BetOnline, they continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. You can find the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Stanley Cup Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website. Use your mobile device right now. Sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just when you use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A, to get that bonus and get into the action bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming into the pod super excited to have this guest on i've had wanted to have him on for a while he's a part of the believe family we're gonna hang out in the believe tent here for a little bit maybe do a little bit of everything a little nba a little baseball he is from believe Sorallo sports talk he is on sports map radio and you can also find him on sirius xm it's joe Sorallo. hello joe happy birthday man <laughs> thanks so much joe i appreciate it man i'm glad to be here uh, let's bring the audience behind the pre-pod process. You just got finished skydiving. Uh, can you give us the scouting report? And uh, did you like it? And maybe what uh, surprised you the most about jumping out of a giant airplane? <laughs> uh, 10 out of 10. Would definitely recommend. Um, especially, you know, if you're a thrill seeker like me, it just came down to being my, uh, my first birthday out in L.A. I'm a New Yorker. You know, like you and like so many other people, I'm a transplant out here. So uh, with the birthday being yesterday on Father's Day, a lot of people weren't around. I was kind of like, you know, what am I going to do here? I want to make it a memorable one. Figure, jump out of a plane over the Pacific Ocean. That's a, that's a pretty memorable birthday. So, uh, you know, it, it was amazing. The, uh, the adrenaline was insane. And, you know, of course, I had a beautiful woman doing it with me. So there was no room to back out. That, uh, that I think, pushed me over the edge of making sure, like, all right, you know, she's there. If I want another date, I've got to do it. Uh, well, good for you. Congratulations on that. And a lot of people move out to L.A. They go on some kind of juice cleanse of some kind. You went a different, you went a different route. Uh, so bravo to that. And then, yeah, so so it sounded like your significant other, the lady in your life, went with you. Um, was it her idea? Was this your idea? And uh, who was probably had more trepidation about it uh, on the way up? So it's actually, I mean, you know, I wouldn't call her a significant other just yet. Pretty early. But, uh, definitely but lovely, a- lovely nonetheless. Lovely yeah, nonetheless. Yeah. Absolutely. And definitely learned a lot about her. I mean, you know, to meet someone out here who's that thrill-seeking and adventurous, like, you know, bonus points through the roof. Um, I actually thought she wasn't going to come. It was my idea. We were supposed to go to brunch, me, her, my buddy, his girlfriend. And uh, I turned to her, you know, I actually called her up the day before on Saturday. And I said, look, here's the deal. We can go to brunch every weekend, right? I want to do And something. we will. Yeah, absolutely. LA, and we will. And we will have a boozy brunch at a different spot every single weekend. But I was like, you know, it's my birthday. I want to do something fun. I want to do something different. So here's what I'm going to do. No pressure. You absolutely don't have to come with me, um, but you're more than welcome to join if you like. And she was like, are you kidding me? I'm in. I've done it three times already. So yeah, so it was her fourth jump, my first. She was the pro. And uh, at that point, I was like, shit, there's no backing down anymore, man. (laughs) Congratulations, man. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think just for everyone, the skydiving is just one of those litmus tests, right? It's one of those litmus tests in life. Uh, for a long time, I wanted to do it. Um, as I advance in my 30s, it's not that I'm getting scared to not do it. I think it's just my want and my desire to do it has lessened as the years go on. Mm-hmm. It's almost like tattoos. I don't know if you're like a tattoo guy or not. Not I, really, I, to be honest. I, I don't have them. I never yeah. got them. It never happened. I never settled on something. I did say, Joe, that if the Cubs won the World Series in 2015 – 
that I was going to get a Cubs tattoo. They did not win it that year. And then the following year, I did not make that like proclamation to the stars to myself. <laughs> I just never got one. So it's just like one of those things. Uh, but super, so happy to have you on, man. Um, been following your content, following your stuff for a long time. Congratulations on all of your success. Thank and I think we're just going to talk, uh, you know, we're going to go around the room a little bit. You're a New York guy. We're going to talk some Chicago and New York sports. But let's start with maybe what, I don't know, I'm going to guess here and just take a wild guess. You know, basketball seems a little bit like your bread and butter. We've been spending a lot of time on it, talking about the NBA Finals. So let's just start there. The Warriors, four titles. I mean, we're getting to that point right now where we just start talking about legacy and Hall of Famers and who's who and pecking order. But I just want to get your reaction to the series. You know, coming into it, did you pick the Warriors to win the series? You know, what kind of surprised you? And how do you think, what was, you know, really the thing that sort of played out that was the breaking point for the Celtics in this one? Yeah, so I did pick the Warriors to win this one against Boston. And, you know, look, I'll be honest, it wasn't the most confident pick. I've ever made, but as a New Yorker, as a Knicks fan, there's no chance I'm ever going to pick the Boston Celtics to win a title, man. Uh, you know, when you look at this Warriors team, you know, four rings now in eight years. I mean, Steph, Clay, Draymond, they've been through it all under Steve Kerr. And it really is one of the best dynasties we've ever seen. They don't have necessarily the most championships, but, you know, don't forget, Boston Celtics, when Bill Russell was there, the NBA was, what, a third of the size, half the size that it is now. Obviously, you know, Michael was dominating throughout the 90s, of course. But, I mean, this team, with the talent level that we see in the league today and the way that the game is transformed, I mean, this is just as impressive as any other run that we've seen in NBA history. And when you look at Steph Curry, I mean, I think what we saw out of him, not just this postseason, but this entire season, statistically, one of the worst shooting seasons of his career but always finding ways to get his guys involved. You know, Jordan Poole looked like an absolute star this season. And, you know, part of that, of course, is because of Jordan Poole's own doing. But part of it is because I think we've seen Steph transform from, you know, just the pull-up-and-shoot guy to almost more of a, a true, well-rounded point guard as he's gotten older. And, you know, his assist numbers were up this year. You look at that Dallas series, you know, Steph has not performed that well against the Mavericks the past few years, ever since Luke has been leading the way over there. And it was just him getting his teammates involved. But we saw it in the NBA Finals, still able to turn it on and, of course, be the number one scoring option seemingly at will. You know, with the exception of Game 5, Steph was the guy every other game that series. And so just seeing the way his game has grown and changed, but, you know, he's still a championship threat every single season. It's been such a phenomenal joy to watch. We're definitely going to talk about his three-point shooting in correlation to, you know, his legacy and how we view him among the NBA greats. But, man, he did such a great job finishing around the rim in this series. And you're just bringing up a great point about his well-rounded game really paying off for the Warriors. Heading into the series, I was kind of looking at two things, right? I was looking at the Warriors' ball movement and the way that they work just so in concert on offense versus that Celtics defense. And then, conversely, you know, the Celtics had Jalen Brown and Tatum riding into the series feeling pretty hot. My question was going to be, in those moments when maybe that ball movement got stopped by the Celtics defense, who takes that shot? Who gets that isolation play? And it was Steph, you know, taking them off the dribble and going into the paint and making it happen. And I really think it, you know, it kind of broke the Celtics a little bit who were trying to pride themselves on that defense for such a long series. What would you say to Jason Tatum fans? I know you're a New York guy, but, you know, coming out of this series right now, I think a lot of people are going one way or the other on Jason Tatum. What would you say to Jason Tatum's uh, fans right now? And just, you know, what is your reaction and opinion on how he played in this NBA Finals? Yeah, well, I want to preface it with this. Jason Tatum will be back. The Boston Celtics, in all likelihood, will be back. He had an awful NBA Finals, right? There's no way to sugarcoat that. But I'm not going to sit here 
and, and you know give you that reactionary hot take garbage and say that Jason Tatum isn't one of the best players on the planet. Is he top 10? I would lean no. Now you can mm-hmm. make the argument, certainly. He's definitely top 15. And you know, while he didn't show up in the finals necessarily, he showed up for Boston all season. Don't forget, going into February, the Celtics had what? Like the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, this team was, you know, mediocre for a majority of the season. Tatum led them on that incredible second half run, led them to the finals. And, you know, he'll be back. The guy's what, 24 years old? I mean, he, he's he's my age. It's actually sickening. He's my age. He's been to three conference finals and now an NBA finals. He'll be back. The Celtics will be back. I'm not going to look at him and start bashing him because he didn't show up this series. But at the end of the day, him and Jalen Brown just failed to put together 48 minutes of basketball at the same time this entire series. I mean, game one, Boston caught a break. They were down 15 late in the third, one by 12. Tatum had nothing to do with that. And then he had some good games and the Celtics couldn't win. They just couldn't piece it together. The guy who impressed me the most this entire series, and I said after game three, when Boston went up 2-1, if they won it, Marcus Smart was going to be the finals MVP because obviously defensive player of the year contributes so much, has a motor that doesn't stop on that side of the ball. But he was also scoring this postseason and this finals at career rates. I mean, he was great from three-point land. Marcus Smart was incredible. He wanted it. Robert Williams wanted it. At the end of the day, Tatum and Brown just, you know, maybe it's because it was their first NBA finals, but the lights were a little too bright for him. Yeah, and let's keep in mind, too, I don't think they get to the NBA Finals without Tatum, right? Especially in that Milwaukee series. You know, we people like, well, they didn't have Chris Middleton. Tatum was great in that series. I mean, literally won games by himself at that particular time. And, you know, yeah, you could talk about running out of gas. You could talk a little bit about, I mean, I guess my question for you moving forward for the Celtics in the offseason before we get to the Warriors is kind of, you know, what do the Warriors need on their roster next year? I mean, is it do they need another piece? Do they just kind of need to play better? Can you actually, you know, with young players like Brown and Tatum, get better at ball handling? You know what I mean? Get over a turnover control? Are those things that kind of go away? Or do they kind of maybe need – I know you talked about Marcus Smart, but is it maybe that that hard moment for Boston fans to realize that maybe Marcus Smart isn't the person to facilitate this offense? What do you see for the Celtics this offseason? Yeah, I, I mean, it's tough because the Celtics, they, they showed us throughout this postseason run that – they are one of the most complete teams in the NBA. So when you look at what they need, I would have said obvious answer, you know, maybe six months ago, a point guard, but Marcus Smart, you know, the defensive player of the year is not a sixth man, right? I, I think Marcus mm-hmm. Smart, especially with what he showed us on offense this postseason, I think he is that everyday starting point guard. Now, depth at the guard position certainly couldn't help. You know, Peyton Pritchard, Derek White, I don't necessarily think they're the answer. I thought Pritchard was out on the court way too much in game six for my liking. Uh, you know, Horford's getting up there in age, and he showed flashes this postseason, but he wasn't there every game. I think the best spot for Boston to improve might be down low. Pair someone with Robert Williams. Of course, you got Grant Williams off the bench. I mean, with Robert Williams, you get that dog. You know, you get that fight. That guy who's going to do anything. Played a very Draymond Green style of basketball this series. Every board was his. Great on defense. You know, there were games four blocks, three steals. But I think maybe a more polished center as Horford gets older, that might be the best way to go about it because Brown and Tatum are going to be your top two scorers. I don't think there's anyone on the market, you know, no Brad Beal, no Donovan Mitchell, that's going to be making their way to Boston. It just wouldn't fit in this system. So, you know, maybe shore up a bit down low and add some depth at point guard, but this really is one of the more complete teams in the NBA. Yeah, bench shooting is a great point. I'm thinking about that. I mean, I guess a lot of NBA teams could probably use that, especially with playoff aspirations. Remember yeah. the times when we were talking about can Brown and Tatum play together? Do we have <laughs> to split them up? 
Isn't that funny how these things just kind of the narratives sort of turn over time? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll admit I'm not the biggest Jalen Brown fan, but, you know, obviously everything in Boston worked. And, you know, maybe you credit that to the new coach this year, changing up the system a bit, making adjustments halfway through the season as, you know, we saw the Celtics completely turn things around. Um, you know, long term, if you can only lock up one, the obvious answer is Tatum, but they, they seem to mesh together just fine. Let's move it over to the Warriors. Uh, you know, God, four titles, six finals appearances, you know, maybe smooshing in there. Uh, a couple bad seasons, obviously one injury ravaged, a couple high draft picks later, and they're NBA champions once again. Let's just start hyperbolic. I I'm interested to hear your take on the Warriors. Is this the most impressive NBA title for them in this run so far? I think by far. I, I mean, and look, you know, some people might come out here and say like, Oh, they got lucky with their, you know, their matchups in the postseason because the Denver Nuggets, you know, it was no question that they were going to lay down when the playoffs rolled around. They were a one-man show with Jokic. And, you know, then they got the Grizzlies and Ja got injured. And, and then Dallas instead of Phoenix in the conference finals. And some people say, well, you know, look at the season Phoenix had. Golden State wouldn't have gotten past. No. Uh, this Warriors team earned everything that they got this season. And I definitely think it was the most impressive, uh, impressive championship that they've won, you know. People say they had it easy because not a single series went to seven games. To me, that just shows That's me impressive. how dominant. Yeah, it's, yes. just, it's just how yes. dominant they were. You know, it didn't matter if they were at home, on the road, you know, clinching the finals up in Boston at TD Garden. I mean, this team and, you know, the way that they've changed their style, right? Clay Thompson is this year, he was a shell of the Clay Thompson that we saw, you know, three, four years back. Steph Curry against Dallas, like I mentioned earlier, changing his style up, doing what he had to do because he couldn't be that number one scoring threat against the Mavericks, getting guys like Jordan Poole involved. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, to me, Andrew Wiggins is the biggest testament to Steve Kerr as a coach because people say, oh, anyone can coach that Warriors team. And I will say, out of all four major sports, I think that head coach matters the least in the NBA. But mm. when you look at what Steve Kerr did to Andrew Wiggins, I mean, completely changing the trajectory of his career. All of a sudden, this guy went from first overall pick and a bust label to now people are saying he's got the ring. He played a huge part in that ring. Is Andrew Wiggins a potential Hall of Famer one day? Still has to build up the resume. He's still young as hell. But I mean, what a turnaround from bust to maybe this guy's a Hall of Famer. I think that's a huge credit to Kerr. Draymond came out there after two awful games to start the NBA Finals, got himself in check. And, and it was just, you know, it's a mix and match of guys. James Wiseman did nothing. They don't have that, you know, true center, but they were still able to control their pace, control the style of basketball going on. I think it's the most impressive of the four title runs. I mean, look, I, you're, every year when a, someone wins a title, we're always going to do, was the conference strong enough or did they get lucky? But I think you're illustrating all the counterpoints of, okay, great, they didn't have to play Jokic. But again, you just mentioned – they didn't know what they were getting from Klay Thompson this year. You also mentioned, I think it was Steph Curry was shooting, what, low 30s from three-point range around Christmas? Yeah, like, worst, worst three-point three shooting season of his career. Right, exactly. And then on top of it, you get the type of play that you get out of Andrew Wiggins in the NBA Finals. I mean, those are three, I think, things that maybe, uh, no, I'm not going to say unexpected, but were things that you had to work towards as you move along there. Those are the same ways of saying, well, God, if the Suns didn't play like shit, then they, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, excuse me a second. I mean, this was this was widely earned, and you know, I kind of felt like after, you know, after that Western Conference Finals about halfway through, I thought this was the Warriors' title to lose. You yeah. know, personally, um, especially you know, I didn't know what was going to happen in the Celtics Bucks series coming out of it. So it was all out there for the Warriors, and they went out there and they accomplished it. 
And then on top of it, you get the game four from Steph Curry, which honestly is perhaps one of, I mean, easily one of the best finals performances I've seen in the 21st century. I mean, I, I you know, maybe like at least top 10. Um, I mean, the guy is so impressive. I mean, it's time to move on to it. I mean, this is kind of what we've been spending our week on. Typically, when teams win the title, you do, well, can they repeat? Can they win next year? I think more of the conversation this week has been about where do we put Steph Curry in the pecking order among the NBA greats? Um, I gave you three options. You picked the one. So here it is for you. Um, Joe C to Joe C right now. In your opinion, is Steph Curry a top 10 all-time NBA player right now? Absolutely. There's no question about it. I'm not going to mince words on this one. Steph's one of the all-time greats. And, you know, a lot of people are going to look at this and say, oh, what the hell does this 24-year-old know? He never watched Magic and Bird. Uh, But at the end of the day, you know, look, does a part of me wish the NBA was still more like it was in the 90s? Yes. You know, I I grew up playing the center position as someone who couldn't shoot. I was a rebounder and a shot swatter. That was my specialty. Real quick, how tall are you? 6'4". 6'4". Oh, wow. I'm 6'1". Dang. Okay. Okay. All right. So I was a rim protector. Had no outside shot until, you know, recently playing at the park. But when I was playing organized ball, I was just, you know, 15 rebounds, three, four blocks a game. That was my thing. And so I have an appreciation and an admiration that most people my age don't for that old school style of basketball. But when you look at where the game is today, the reason it's at where it's at right now with three-point shooting and everyone from 5'10 guys to 7-foot guys wanting to shoot the three, It's because of Steph Curry. This man has literally transformed the game. He has been the leader and the focal point on one of the best dynasties that we've ever seen in NBA history. And because of the way he's transcended the game, changed the entire league from not just the league, not just the NBA, but the game from youth sports all the way to the pros. You know, Steph Curry, I'm sorry. I think he ranks all time higher than Kobe Bryant, higher than Tim Duncan, higher than Larry Bird. And so, yeah, he's without a doubt a top 10 player in my opinion. Yeah, so I kind of just made like a quick list here of guys that, you know, would in theory be in my top 10. This is in no particular order, but the first one is in particular order, Michael Jordan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I disagree with you on that, and I knew I would being a Chicago guy yourself. Oh, no. Wow. I, so I am LeBron 1, Michael 2 on my list. Interesting. Okay, so wait a second. Okay, we're going <laughs> to do that. We're going to do that in a second. I need to uh, – let's stay on stuff here just real quick. So I got, yeah. I got MJ. I got Magic. I got Bird, I got LeBron. This is in no particular order. I got Wilt, Kareem, and Bill Russell, right? So that's seven right there with three spots to go in the top ten. And then you're right, man. You start looking at it. You got guys like Shaq, Oscar, Hakeem, Tim Duncan, Kobe, and then there's Steph. And I can't see in my mind a reason why Steph doesn't make it into those final three for multiple reasons. One, he's now got the titles, right? I mean, he doesn't have five like Kobe or, uh, you know, Kobe or Tim Duncan. He's got more than Akeem, definitely more than Oscar. He's got just amount, the same amount as Shaq. Shaq and Steph, you kind of put them together a little bit. I, I, we're all going to look at numbers, right, where Steph is going to be the greatest shooter of all time. He's going to blow us away on three-pointers made, no question. Will anyone ever touch those three-pointers made? I don't know. We'll see how the game goes right, in the next 10 or 15 years. But Shaq and Steph also had that factor of, what makes the greatest players of all time is that I would text you that night and be like, dude, Steph's on fire right now. Dude, you got to change the channel. Shaq just broke the rim. Yeah. You know, Shaq's got 35 and 20 right now. You got to change it. Everyone needs to stop what we're doing and watch this singular individual perform at his, at his highest level. And I know that doesn't get into analytics or anything, but I do think that kind of means something when you get into top 10 of all time. And I guess my only thing is, what, what is it about you that has 
Steph over Kobe. Um, you know, Kobe does have that longevity argument, right, that I think a lot of people like to put on LeBron's resume, too, as well, of staying around. He does have those five titles. But in your opinion, just real quick, what do you think gives Steph the edge over Kobe? Yeah, and to me, this is a tough one. And I, I know it's controversial, and it comes with zero disrespect to Kobe Bryant, you know, who I think mentally him and Michael are, you know, the, tough, the top two mentally toughest NBA players of all time. But at the end of the day, it, to me, it goes back to, it comes down to the way that Steph has changed the game. You know, Kobe worked his ass off, worked harder than, you know, anyone else maybe in the history of basketball. But the way that, you know, Steph, you talk about the eye test a little bit and, and you know, texting saying like, hey, Shaq did this, Steph did that, right? Steph is appointment television every night. And when you look yep. at longevity, I mean, it shocked me. He's already been in the league. What, what is it, 13 years that Curry's already been in the league? And oh, nine, yeah. Yeah, and, and he's been appointment television for his entire career you know the way that he has changed the game to now that kids growing up only want to be like Steph Curry you know people always wanted to be Kobe Bryant but I feel like Kobe was never the top guy because you know he played at the same time as LeBron and then you know Allen Iverson was out there and Shaq of course did a lot of his damage with Kobe you know Steph you look at Klay Thompson you look at Draymond Green certainly are these guys Hall of Famers if they don't play with Steph does Klay Thompson have a single ring if he doesn't play with Steph. I, I mean, Draymond certainly is not a Hall of Famer without Steph. Now with four rings, it, it's like you have to talk about him as a Hall of Famer, whether you like the guy or not. And so Steph has made, you know, so many Hall of Famers around him. And I'm not going to trash Kobe and say, oh, he'd be nothing without Shaq. That's complete BS. But at the end of the day, he had arguably the most dominant center, maybe not the best, maybe he wouldn't rank the highest on your list. But at the time, maybe the most dominant center of all time was right next to him. Steph has made guys into Hall of Famers. To me, that, that's why he gets the edge. Well, yeah, and look, let's be fair here. We're talking about the top 10 greatest players of all time. All these players are incredible, right? Yeah. I mean, we're literally – this is just – we're doing like a sorting out of these amazing players. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess the thing about it is I'm kind of torn on Kobe and Steph a little bit, but I do think Steph probably by the end, he probably gets the nod, right? I mean – I also put it in the category, and this is probably what takes Tim Duncan out of the top 10 for me, is, again, this whole vibe of the time Steph Curry did this, dot, dot, dot. And that goes everywhere from the video that we saw pregame of him hitting free throw, three-pointer, half-quarter, you know what I mean? Like, all that in a row, all the way up to the way that he gave, you know, little girls on the side of the court, you know, shoes and everything like that. The time that Steph Curry did this, there's so many of those moments and him being an ambassador for the game. And now he's got four titles. He's got two MVPs. He's got that finals MVP. I don't think he's going to slow down for at least two or three more years, right? If he squeezes one more title out there, I mean, he's going to shoot way up there on those charts. And, you know, I think there maybe is a possibility where, you know, it's just tough with guys like Wilt and Bill Russell, right? Because mm -hmm. with Wilt, it's these numbers that are 50 points a game. How do you say yeah. no to that and then with bill russell you've got these titles in an era that obviously is not even close to what the nba era was in the 70s but still it's a lot of fucking titles dude it is it is really hard to judge it and i'm with you 100 percent on that you know it's like will chamberlain was putting up otherworldly numbers at the same time he was playing against guys who in the offseason were you know plumbers and butchers i i mean it's it's really hard to gauge the level of competition the number of teams it's nowhere near where it is today and you know again when you look at steph curry it's like for me the biggest thing is 
This is the greatest shooter of all time. No disrespect to, you know, Ray Allen or anyone else. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter in the history of the game. What's the object of the sport? To shoot the ball into the basket. How are you going to have the greatest shooter not be on your top 10 list, you know? I completely agree. Speaking of uh, putting the ball in the basket, I just want to hear it, man. Uh, we're not going to scream at each other because uh, we're both named Joe and we're good guys. It's the first time we've been on a pod. But uh, just just toss me your case, man. I, wa I want to hear it. Uh, LeBron over Jordan, tell me. Yeah, I mean, LeBron, you know, I would argue is the best athlete of all time across any sport. Guy's been mm. to 10, uh, 10 NBA finals. I know he's got the four and six record compared to Jordan being six and oh. But we've seen some of the greatest final performances of all time come out of LeBron. Only guy to ever lead his team from down 3-1. Did it with a banged up team nonetheless. You know, I mean, the guy has taken teams with, of course, he's had his super teams, you know, the Wade Bosch, the Kyrie Kevin Love, but he's also taken teams with no one to the finals, albeit he didn't win. If you look at that Cavs team he took for his first NBA finals appearance against San Antonio, I mean, who was his number two option? Like Larry Hughes? It, no was it Eric, Eric Snow? Was it Eric Snow or something? Like, <laughs> and I love Larry Hughes and Eric Snow, and they're both members of the Believe Network, but I think yeah, they'll they be the first, I think they'll be the first two guys to admit that they shouldn't be your number two option on a uh -huh. team in the NBA Finals. That's why I love them, because they will admit that. You know, LeBron, as, as a kid, as a baby, I think he was younger than I am now, took one of the worst teams to ever appear uh, in an NBA Finals to the Finals. And, you know, to me, it's just that's next-level talent. I know Michael's 6-0. and I think Michael had, uh, had, you know, really good teams around him, really good coach. Obviously, you know, you can make the argument. Scotty, just like Clay, maybe he's not a Hall of Famer if he doesn't have Michael with him. But uh, for me, it's just LeBron being the best athlete of all time gives him the nod. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you with LeBron being singularly, I think, the greatest, like, if you can make it up in a lab, like a physical specimen yeah. of an athlete to play. And, of course, like, I I don't really like the arguments, but I did grow up in the era of, like, Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, mm -hmm. and I thought that was so cool. But I truly, when LeBron would say I could play in the NFL, oh yeah, I believe him. I believed him completely, and um, and I, I find him to be a singularly breathtaking person who not only matched what was given to him through the physical gifts of God, but also like the hard work that he put into as well, and the fact that everyone, when he was 16 years old, said this guy is going to be the next king, like here comes Jesus Christ, and he came back, he came out, and he actually did it, right? I yeah. mean, he actually he actually performed and made it happen. My only thing is, and my thing with Jordan is, look. The 6-0 stuff, um, you know, I get it. It's it's fairly indisputable. My thing about MJ, though, is is the is the factor of you know, MJ did this, dot, dot, dot. Do you remember when MJ did that, dot, dot, dot? The only reason why I give Jordan the edge over LeBron is because, one, undisputable fact, Jordan won an MVP and a Defensive Player Award in the exact same year. Uh, that was before his titles. I mean, I don't know anyone else is really going to ever pull that off again anytime soon. I mean, it's um, Giannis territory. He's about the only guy I could think of. Yeah, Giannis territory for sure is definitely probably someone that could pull that off. Uh, the other one, by the time they won the first title, Scottie Pippen was not an all-star yet. Obviously, Scottie Pippen became an all-star afterwards and then had great teams around them. Yeah, I mean, they're stacking up the wins in the late 90s. And I guess that's maybe the question is, you know, LeBron chose to not have continuity. I'm not going to knock him for going to Miami because – I don't know if he was ever going to win a title in Cleveland just based on kind of how the NBA has sort of trended over the last 15 years or so, where it's not that people didn't want to play with LeBron. I just don't think people wanted to play in Cleveland, right? Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. And so him going to Miami, I think it was a choice that he had to do. And the fact that he came back and won a title 
in Cleveland, I think, validates his choice for leaving. It's just, man, if you just pull up the stuff, and look, I've watched every LeBron, great LeBron playoff game, you know, the 44 points, the 48 points, the 48 and 15, you know, against Boston, against what he did literally in that Cleveland series versus the Warriors, game after game, willing them in the paint. I'm just telling you, man, Jordan, those games are like 55 58 points. I mean, it's really it's really something truly incredible. I mean, the man was an incredible scorer, incredible defender. Uh, probably give the edge to LeBron in terms of rebounding. Um, but I don't know, man. I, it's it's tough. I, I definitely think LeBron probably needs to win another one uh, mm-hmm. to probably hop into a conversation. Especially after the season that the Lakers just had. I mean, you know, it's funny because if you look at the season, LeBron actually had a great year. But if you look at the team success, which most people will obviously point to, you know, they're going to look at that and say, well, he needs to bounce back now in a big way. Because even though he averaged over 30 points per game this season, one of what, two guys in the NBA to do so this year, and he had that stretch where he was averaging damn near a triple-double. I think it was in in uh, January, February. It was like a 10 to 12-game stretch of 35-plus and 12-plus boards and like eight or nine-plus assists. It's like at the end of the day, the team still stunk this year. A team that was a, a title favorite preseason miss the playoffs and miss the playoffs by a lot. So that's definitely, I agree with you. He might have to go back and run it back and win another. This is going to make you roll your eyes, but I was trying to think of, I don't think LeBron can win another title in LA. Uh, This is kind of where I'm landing at at this right now. So if I was LeBron James, I'd have to say to myself, I need to go somewhere that probably gives myself the best chance at winning. And now let's just kind of take a couple of obvious ones off the board, right? Like he can't just go to the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense right the Chicago Bulls are on that team are on that list I'm not saying that that's the number one on that list but if LeBron said tomorrow I want to go to the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Bulls decide to do I think it'd have to be it'd be Patrick Williams it'd be their first round uh, their first rounder for the next couple years yeah uh it'd be Kobe White and let's just say even it's Zach Levine LeBron would have a good chance at probably getting out of the East and getting back to the finals with the Chicago Bulls type team. Off the top of your head, I know I'm kind of springing this on you, but are there other teams out there that if LeBron went to said team, he automatically would become a Western Conference favorite besides maybe like obviously the Warriors? Like, is it Dallas? If he went to the East too as well, I mean, what, what team would that be if we plucked him and put him on one of those teams right now? You just say to yourself, man, odds on favorite. This guy is now back into possibly getting his fifth title. Interesting. I mean, because the first team in the East that came to mind was actually Philly. I think Philly, if they you know, you go. straight away from that James Harden awful experiment, um, you know, albeit better than having Ben Simmons there, literally dead weight. But if they uh, if they move on from Harden and you pair LeBron with Embiid, LeBron's shown us he can play the one, he can play the three, whatever you need. Mm-hmm. I think Philly, he'd instantly be a favorite even over Milwaukee right now. Um, Western Conference, I mean, would never happen because it's a small market. But to see him and John Morant together would be uh, would be absolutely oh my God. insane. Yeah, and if you can uh, like keep like Triple J too as well, like and like keep all their pieces like as constructed and just put LeBron on there. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be not only maybe the best team in basketball, but the most fun team in basketball. Uh, Western Conference, though, I mean the obvious choice is uh, is Phoenix. I feel like LeBron and Chris Paul. It's you know it's a shame they've never gotten to play together because that just seems like like it needed to happen at some point. And then you know 
the question there would be how does Devin Booker feel about getting less shots up but I, I think LeBron Chris Paul Booker is the sharpshooter uh, I mean Aiton would probably be moved on from if that happened so you'd have to fill in some pieces down low but yeah I, I think Phoenix actually just system wise I think LeBron would fit in a lot better with Booker and CP3 than he did this year with Russ and with uh you know a crippled AD honestly Phoenix is an interesting one their owner sucks but yeah you know you could you could sign and trade Aiton and maybe put together bridges for LeBron and all of a sudden if you're a Lake if you're a Lakers fan honestly I I would do that deal if I got a center and 80 doesn't have to play the five anymore like finally he could just sleep easy at night that he doesn't have to play center anymore and he could play the four and you have an AD Aiton bridges kind of combo if you're the Lakers I don't know I would probably take that but yeah I look I I was pissed at LeBron when he left uh, Cleveland to go to Miami because yeah, I was in Chicago and I was talking. I wasn't in the business, but I knew a lot of different people throughout the city. And him and Wade were talking about playing on the Chicago Bulls. That is a real thing. They were trying to figure out how to make it happen. They said, we want Bosch to come along with. And the Chicago Bulls said, well, that's just a bridge a little bit too far with our roster constraints. And they just wanted to play with the three of them. And, oh, darn it, they found Miami. and They made it happen. Yeah. But I'm always kind of rooting for LeBron to continue that legacy. I always kind of root for greatness. Um, we got to move on a little bit because we got a couple of topics left here. Um, I want to move over to some baseball real quick because in the city of New York, Joe, there's a little thing called a resurgence going on um, on both sides of town. Uh, you pick first, man. Who do you want to talk about first, the Yankees and how terrifying they are possibly? And outside of the Dodgers, can anyone beat them? Uh, maybe in the long run of this baseball season. And let's talk about a Mets team that, let's be honest, is staying afloat and playing really great baseball, even though their best two pitchers haven't really seen them out at all this year. Yeah, why don't we start with the team that I worked for for four years, the team that I love more than any other team in any sport. It's my Mets. And they are the team who probably is even better constructed than the L.A. Dodgers to take down the Yankees Ooh, in October. All right. Okay. If we get that rematch 22 years later, man, New York is a Mets Town. This team, I mean, they just, you know, beat the Marlins today. I know it's the Marlins, but still winning three out of four doesn't matter who it's against. It's a nice, impressive feat, especially when your two Cy Young Award winners are on the shelf and have combined for just eight starts this season. This is a different New York Mets team. Look, I've seen a lot of promising and ultimately disappointing Mets squads in my lifetime. Buck Showalter, and he's shown, you know, we're already two thirds of the way through June. He is not letting that typical Mets June swoon happen. We've seen this team start hot as hell in April a million times, and by June, they're out of contention. That's not happening. There's a new culture. It's a new era for the New York Mets. Uh, man, I'm sorry. I know the Yankees are the best team in baseball right now, but to me, in October, the Mets are going to be the scariest when Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer are pitching games one and two of the World Series. Yeah, and you've got a guy like maybe a Taiwan Walker pitching a game three, too, as well, who's a great, who's a great pitcher, too, as well as having another good year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my question for you a little bit is they seem to have a little bit of everything, right? There's always been a, a surplus or a rotation of outfielders, I feel like, for the Mets to sort of choose from. You know, Lindor seems like he's playing like the Lindor that you signed, who signed that contract that got Mets fans so excited. I mean, we're only a month away. It's it's time to get the hot stove cooking. If the Mets were to add on in any area on their team right now, what is it? Is it all cosmetic bullpen type stuff? Or you think that they maybe would go out there and take a big swing just the same way Steve Cohen, the owner, has taken big swings with uh, assembling this roster? Yeah, I, I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, for the first time and maybe forever, it's not like there's a pressing need 
as we're about, you know, five, six weeks away from the trade deadline. But, you know, I, I'm a former pitcher myself. I, I believe pitching wins championships, just like, you know, in football, defense wins championships. It's all about pitching. You can never have too much pitching. You know, the fact that the Mets have done what they've done without Scherzer and DeGrom is absolutely incredible. But Jake's been fragile the last couple of years. Scherzer, last postseason with the Dodgers, suffered from a dead arm. You know, go out, get maybe another starter, definitely another reliever. You can never have too many of those. Um, but offensively, and this is a team that even when they've had amazing pitching, has always struggled to score, at least in my lifetime. Offensively, this team's set. I mean, yeah. we've got so much depth. It, it's a next man up mentality. You know, you've got guys like Mark Canna, who, you know, was signed to be, you know, maybe a starting outfielder, maybe a fourth outfielder, depending on what JD and Dom Smith did earlier this year. And the guy's hitting 300, right? Jeff McNeil, fourth in the National League in hitting, and the guy can play three different positions, and he's comfortable at, you know, second base in both corner outfield spots everyone's hitting on this team. You've got depth guys like Travis Jankowski are coming back. And I know that if you're not a Mets fan, you might not, not know who the hell that is, but he was having a great season in a backup outfielder late inning guy role before he got hurt. So offensively, I really think we can, you know, uh, stand pat, but when it comes to pitching, you can never have too much, you know, guys that have filled incredible voids like Tyler McGill now facing his second IL stint and uh, Taiwan Walker, Cookie Carrasco, they're all carrying the load, but you just never know. So, you know, add some pitching and, uh, you know, worst case, the guy who you add at the, de at the deadline to be a, a number four or five starter, maybe he becomes a great reliever when October rolls around and you go down to that four-man rotation. So can never yeah, go wrong. Yeah, pulls, pulls that Lance McCullers, uh, you know, from many years ago. They just moved him right into that that mid-roll. And, yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think Carrasco, um, such an interesting story kind of playing a little bit with house money right you just like hey every time he goes out and performs and is healthy let's just let's just keep it that way as best as possible and i guess pitching 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 uh, i think i already know the answer to this one but let's get it out of the way uh in terms of the division uh braves or phillies which one probably matchup wise would maybe give the mets the most trouble um gotta say the braves here i mean the mets have already played the phillies 12 times this year and you know coming into the season i might have had a different answer um, but we've won nine out of 12 against the Phillies this year. So the Mets have already shown, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies are a team with a ton of power, but they play the worst defense in baseball. And, you know, they're pitching Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler are both great. After that, there's a big drop off guys like Zach Eflin, who, you know, you keep hearing like, oh, his stuff, you know, from the Phillies, like, oh, his stuff is just as good as Zach Wheeler. It's not true at all. The Mets shell him every time they play. The bullpen's not that good. Uh, it's totally the Braves that scare me more because the Braves have had our number a lot in recent years. Um, you know, the Braves who, you know, they won a World Series uh, without maybe the best player in baseball, Ronald Acuna, a year ago. So they're a team. I just spoke about the Mets with their next man up mentality. The Braves, uh, the last year and a half, have been the epitome of that. You know, they won a World Series on the backs of, obviously, Freddie Freeman, but Jock Peterson and Marcelo Zuna and Adam Duval. I, I mean, that's the ultimate next man up lineup right there. Rosario. So, yeah, exactly. So, so what the Braves have done, you know, they've got some good pitching this year. Max Fried is an ace. Kyle Wright's having a great year. This, this young kid, Spencer Strider just had 11 K's in his last outing. He came out of nowhere, was a reliever to start the season. So the Braves definitely scare me a bit, um, but not all that much because, you know, it, it, to me, it all comes back to Buck. You had Mickey Calloway, you had Louis Rojas. These guys didn't know what the hell they were doing from a managerial perspective. And, you know, the Mets could could lose two games in a row, but they're not going to get flustered. And the reason I say only two is because they haven't lost three in a row all year because Buck mm. is not allowing this team to, you know, get into their skid. If one or two games go wrong, they bounce right back. And, uh, and it's all a credit to Buck Showalter. 
One team you definitely got to watch out for, I think, in the East or in the NL Central is – hold on, let me – no, the Cubs. The Cubs' record's way down there. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, they're they're a total. Uh, they're a national joke. Uh, let's just uh, for in terms of the American League, I I want to get your take on what you kind of see from a broad perspective, out there because obviously you know the Yankees that one through five, is intimidating and they're healthy yeah. right now and they're playing great and Judge is perhaps the best best hitter in the American League if it isn't Mike Trout right now, but I'm also kind of looking at that rotation and saying outside of Garrett Cole. You know, it, does Cortez really scare me long term? You look over the at the Astros. Astros are doing what they do every single year. They're hitting the crap out of the ball. They got Justin Verlander back, and again, that rotation is super solid. But again, nothing that really scares me. So, as a White Sox fan, look, we're a 500 team right now. We all know that those things can change pretty quickly. Our schedule starts to really soften up in the next couple of weeks. How are you kind of handicapping this American League right now, heading into July? And, you know, just kind of give me your thoughts a little bit on what you think, you know, the White Sox aren't playing great baseball right now, but, you know, do you believe in the talent enough that maybe they can make a run here late in the summer? You know, I believe in the talent. I don't know if I believe in Tony LaRussa. And it sounds like a terrible thing to say. And again, you know, it's probably the second or third comment I've made this show that'll have the old heads saying, you know, what the hell does this kid know about sports? But I think the game has passed Tony LaRussa by. And I don't know if I trust him to be you know, a fiery leader. It's funny because I talk about Buck Showalter and how much I love him. Showalter, I, I think, is still incredibly relevant in the game. And I think he's still got that fire and he's still the guy that people my age want to rally around. Yeah, I and if I can, Tony's that guy. And if I can interject really quick, you're bringing up such a beautiful parallel right now where all the stuff that you described with Buck Showalter about, you know what, he doesn't allow the team to lose that third game. You know, he understands what it's like for a team to leave town feeling like, you know, they won a series or at least figured out a way to come back and split a series to stop losing streaks right in their tracks. It sounds like, you know, he's kind of running a little bit of a tighter ship. Everyone seems to be on the same page. What's going on with the White Sox right now with Tony La Russa is that when he was hired and when you get the same thing with Buck Showalter, you say, all right, well, this is a guy with a Hall of Fame pedigree. At the very least, he's going to be a net positive. And the problem is... I don't even know if Tony LaRusso has been a net neutral, which again yeah. says, you know, I don't know about that. He's almost been a net negative. And that's been the part that I think has been so disappointing where I think you're seeing some of the effects of what it's like to bring in a, a, an old hat into the game and have him take over a team like the Mets. It's almost been like the opposite for the White Sox. Yeah, because and if you look at it, you know, the Mets in recent years, I mentioned Callaway Rojas, they tried to bring in the young guys and go in the analytics direction. And, you know, oh, he's a real players guy. The players love him. They can relate to him. Yeah, it's because, you know, Louis Rojas is younger than half of his players. Um, and it didn't work. And so they went the opposite direction and, and it's working beautifully. In, in LaRusse's case, it's just, you know, I don't know in what world, right? Tim Anderson's the best player on your team. In what world can Tony LaRusse and Tim Anderson relate to one another? You know, I feel like Buck Showalter can. I feel like he's shown that he's able to. I don't know if Tony La Russa can. Now, with the White Sox, you know, this is a team, I love the pitching. I really love your rotation. You know, I think Lance Lynn, a after a few starts, he'll settle in and, and look yeah. like more of the guy we saw last season. But I love what Kopich is doing. I mean, I've been hammering his over on K-Props this year, and uh, he's yeah. just got absolute filth. Uh, obviously, Giolito has some of the nastiest stuff in the game. Love your pitching. It's, you know, can La Russa be the leader? And of course, your bats do need to wake up a bit. And they've been trending in the right direction lately. But, you know, with Minnesota hitting the ball, with Cleveland, all of a sudden, the Guardians have won six straight series. The bats need to wake up big time. Completely agree with you. Yeah, with the Indians, 
their lineup has actually done a little bit better than I thought it was going to this year. That pitching has always kind of scared me where it's like, I know that the White Sox have more talent than the Indians, but you know what it's like when it's division baseball, right? The White Sox and Indians will play a ton of two to one, three to two games. And sometimes those things go the other direction just because of the Cleveland Indians, uh, excuse me, the Cleveland Guardians pitching being so strong. And I completely agree with you. I guess the thing about the White Sox that really has me looking at the American League is you mentioned Kopech. Kopech's been fantastic against the better teams in the American League. Now, look, he got touched up a little bit by the Astros yesterday. A little bit that has to do with he had some knee uh, fluid drained from his previous start. So maybe he doesn't feel that confidence to just, like, you know, kind of, like, go out there and show him what's up. But, you know, he pitched great against the Yankees. He's pitched great against better teams. So I like him in a playoff series. I like a Lance Lynn in a playoff series. That gives me two guys right there I have confidence with. But again, yeah, can the bats get going? And then when the deadline comes around, I don't think the White Sox are that type of team. And you know what I'm talking about that's going to go out there and really splurge or, or, you know, really go for it and really take a team over the edge and not to rope it back to the Mets. But they have an owner right now who has said, you know, verbatim, he is on the record saying that he will do whatever it takes to go over the top to perhaps get someone that we don't even know. You know, there's a star out there right now that we don't even know about that they could be targeting. And that could end up on their roster because the because the Mets owner is willing to go out there and do it. Yeah, man. I mean, look, it comes down to culture, right? And, and I talk about Larusa and Showalter. And with Larusa, you know, you're getting I, I think a little bit of that more conservative culture, that more well, I've done this before, I've won championships, I know what I'm doing. And you know, Showalter, maybe it's actually better for the Mets that as great as a manager as he's been his entire career, he's never won that elusive championship. Maybe it makes him hungrier, makes him more willing to go out there. You know, Steve Cohen, the guy's got more money than God, right? He doesn't give a shit about how much a hot dog costs at City Field. He wants a ring on his finger. And, yeah. and so when you have those hungry guys and that mentality, you know, unfortunately, and, and I actually do have uh, a lot of, you know, positive feelings towards Fred Wilpon, Jeff, not so much. Uh, but when you look at the Wilpon tenure, wh- when they owned the Mets, it was they cared more a little bit about their pocketbooks than than about the actual product on the field. Steve Cohen doesn't have that. He doesn't need this. I mean, he's probably not even going to profit off the Mets for his first couple of years of ownership. So he doesn't need this to make money. Buck Showalter, you know, he could retire even without a championship and say he had a hell of a career. These guys all want that ring. I don't know how much Tony wants it. And that would scare me as a fan of the White Sox. Just a couple more left with uh, Joe Serralo here on on Chicago. Um, favorite Met of all time? Mike Piazza. A, easy. Mike Piazza, yeah, That yeah. came out quick, huh? Oh, man, yeah. I, it, it's funny, actually. I, uh, I got my old college baseball hoodie right now with the number 48 on it, and I, I brought it skydiving yesterday, and uh, the girl goes, why 48? I said, well, I was number 31 my first two years of college, and then we got New Jersey's, and they didn't give us 31, so I switched over to 48 for DeGrom, but – Piazza wore number 31 most of my life. I think three straight Halloweens as a kid, I dressed up like him. My mom did the goatee with the makeup. It's, uh, yeah, Mike Piazza, not even close. So was the Subway series, like, was that seminal for you? Is that, like, one of your first, like, your first, like, overwhelming sports moments in your life? The Subway Series World Series? Yeah. Yeah, I was two. I have no recollection of it. Oh, you have two? Yeah, I was two years old, yeah. Wait, so wait, what year was that? 2001? That was 2000. That was 2000. The first baseball uh-huh. game I remember watching on TV was the 03 World Series. So I was five, and I vividly remember watching Miggy take the field for the Florida Marlins when they beat the Yankees and, and right. rooting for the Marlins, being like, Dad, aren't they in our division? Why are we rooting for them? 
But, you know, I mean, I was rooting for the Phillies against the Yankees in 2009. So anyone but the Yankees. You don't want to know what I was doing after that 2003 uh, Bartman Cubs Marlins oh, series, yeah, man. dude. Oof. That's, that's, yeah, that's brutal. I was in college, homie. <laughs> and I, I I didn't go to class. I didn't go There's to class. Only one for way like to two numb weeks. that pain. <laughs> I didn't go. Yeah, I didn't go to class for like two weeks, man. I just couldn't handle it. That was a dark. That was a dark. That was a dark, dark time. Um, and then yeah, my final one for you is um, just throw that out there to have fun, man. I mean, it's the summertime right now. We're like a couple weeks away from Fourth of July. Uh, it's happened so fast. You're out here in LA right now. Um, how do you like to enjoy your summer, man? Are you like, are you a summer movie guy? Are you like a you like hunt down like a summer song a summer jam kind of guy? Are you a particular kind of summer food? Like when summer comes around, what do you look for the most? Like how do you say you know I got to hit that besides skydiving, obviously. <laughs> yeah, now, right. Now your new hobby, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, that and swimming with the sharks is up next, actually. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> All right, so, slow down, sir. Slow down. <laughs> hey, man, you know you got to be a risk taker, right? I just packed yeah. up all my shit and moved from New York to L.A., so you know I'm I'm all about taking chances. Uh, for, for me, summertime's all about the music, right? It, it's about going out, good times, good vibes. And, you know, what provides good vibes? It, it's the music that you're listening to, the people you're with. You know, movies and growing up in New York, you grew up in Chicago. So, you know, we had really awful winters growing up. And going to the movies was, for me, always a wintertime activity, right? It's cold. What do you do to get out of the house? You know, you go, you go to a movie. Um, to me, watching a movie in the summertime is, is a waste of precious time. It's all about, you know, the soundtrack of your summer, right? And, and that could be a bunch of different things. Even though I'm young, I'm a huge classic rock guy. So as I was driving the two and a half hours, you know, up the PCH yesterday, I got the Pacific Ocean on my left. I got mountains on my right. And, you know, the Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter, blasting on the radio, right? Stones, Springsteen, Don Henley, Boys of Summer. That That is the soundtrack for the day. Um, you know, I like a lot of other music too. I'm really versatile, but you know, windows down, music loud. That's what summer's all about. Yeah, Boys of Summer, that's a great one. Um, yeah, so, like, I uh, just bring you into my world just, like, a little bit. Like, yeah. I, so I grew up, I enjoy, you know, when I was growing up, I was, like, a big, like, punk rock, heavy metal, like, a ska music kind of guy. And then I obviously got into, like, classic rock and progressive rock and stuff. But I do have, like, I do have this fascination with pop music not that like i like owning it but i always like i'm kind of curious like is there a song of the summer right now joe do we do we know is there a popular song of the summer that i should know about like because every year it's it's something right it's like daft punk's get lucky katie perry's california girls uh well, for know, me there's, there's being new to california yeah. for me that song is right up there as a the song of the summer there you go yeah, yeah, there <laughs> i'm, you I'm go. still listening to it oh wait um, real quick yeah get ready every if you listen to the radio in the morning you will hear california love like three times a week <laughs> i guarantee you no matter amazing. what radio station you listen to for sure amazing uh yeah right now i mean i would say uh, are you familiar with jack harlow at all yeah absolutely yeah. okay so that song yeah, he, yeah. he dropped that new album a couple weeks ago. And, you know, yeah. obviously, like, First Class is the one that, you know, everyone's listening to. That's, like, the chart topper. I think it's number two right now. Um, but Movie Star is a great song on that album. I've Got a Shot, Dua Lipa. Um, yeah, to me, that was a really good album. Drake dropped one last week, um, actually, the night of Game 6 of the NBA Finals. He announced, like, that day he was dropping one. Yeah, I haven't. I, I, did it like, I did, like, a quick pass on it, and it sounds like – 
you maybe a couple tracks could be like in the background at a party. Yeah. But I don't think it's anything that you're putting on like with your buddies in a car. You know what I mean? No, no, definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. not. I was and I was really disappointed because when you hear like when you think of summer vibes, right? I, I mean, you know the meme, right? The summer sixteen. Like everyone's uh -huh. like, oh, summer sixteen vibes are back, right? Like yeah. Drake was dropping like the best music of his career. I, I mean, that was to me like that was. Was that, that passion was fruit? Was that like passion fruit era? Is yes. that 16? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was the summer that like I graduated high school. So I was going into my freshman year of college. I thought I was hot shit, even though I wasn't yes. shit. And yes. you know, it was just like, had my first car, my O2 Corolla with the crank roll down windows. And you know, like- you I drove a Corolla. See, look, we're, we're already bridging the gap here. We're I, I love it. It's like, you, you got a girl in the passenger seat and she's like, hey, can we put the windows down? And I gotta like reach over her and start cranking, you know? It's like, that was the summer 16 for me, so. You know, if we can get close to that, and so far, I mean, it's not even officially summer yet. So far, I think we're on our way there. Um, summer 22 should be a good one. Well, man, congratulations on the move out here. Uh, I'm so happy to be your Believe teammate, man. So happy that we can do this. Uh, this was Bet on Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Joe, real quick, before you go, man, thank you so much for coming on. Toss out your socials for everyone listening so they can check out your content, too, as well. Uh, you're doing great stuff, man. It's going to be a great summer. It's going to be a great rest of the year, man. Great having you on. Thank you, man. Yeah, go follow me at, on uh, Instagram at Joe Serralo, and I'm on Twitter and TikTok at the Joe Serralo. And catch Serralo Sports Talk. It's on Thursdays, seven Eastern, four Pacific, right on Sports Map Radio every week as part of the Believe Hour. And we're on the street too, as well. Joe Serralo on uh, TikTok is doing well right now. It's having a, <laughs> it's having a nice time. So you might as well get in while the getting's good to say that you were one of the first ones before uh, before it blows up, man. Congratulations! Just on all. hit 10k. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, good man, good man. Congratulations on all your success, man. And I uh, hope to bring you back on the pod uh, anytime. Anytime, and I'll be returning the favor, man. Want to have you on Serralo Sports Talk as well. Please, whenever you want, dude, I'm here for you, my friend. Uh, today's episode was presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code Believe BLEAV. I'm also partnering right now with Baseball Lifestyle 101. So if you go to BL101.com, you can get 10% off any of their apparel on their website if you use promo code JoeySportsGuy. Awesome company. Great time to pick up something for the summer, especially if you love baseball. Thank you for, so much for checking out this pod. we got plenty more coming the rest of this week. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.